A person with autism has big problems with communication. So do a lot of doctors. What's the implication? You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Thanks for joining me at the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Roy Q. Sanders. Dr. Sanders is the director of the Pediatric Neurodevelopmental Center and Psychiatric Services at the Marcus Institute in Atlanta, Georgia. He is the Associate Medical Director of the Institute and is an Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at Emory University School of Medicine. He is the author of the book, How to Talk to Parents About Autism. Today we're discussing Dr. Sanders' book. Welcome, Dr. Sanders. Thanks for joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Glad to be here. Roy, a friend of mine said to me, how come every time I make a difficult diagnosis and break the bad news to the family about their child, I lose the patient? What should I do? In addition, the American Academy of Pediatrics has recently recommended screening for autism at the 9, 18, and 30-month visit. So I would imagine that the issues of autism and having to tell parents about autism are going to increase once again. Can you help my friend? Can you tell us where do we start? It's really tough to hold on to the patient when you have to make a, a difficult diagnosis or a diagnosis that seems overwhelming at the time, especially in a case like autism where you don't necessarily have an answer of how to fix it or how or what we can do to treat it immediately. I think one of the things that physicians can do, and I talk about this some in the book, is to set aside time when you're going to make a diagnosis like autism or suggest autism to actually sit and listen to the parents and hear what they have to say and hear what their fears are because that's where they're going to be reacting from most of the time. And the secondary issue is to educate yourself on what some of the potentials are for recovery for the child and, and where to go from there so that you can begin to give some hope in the midst of what can be a devastating diagnosis. How optimistic can you be? It's tough to be optimistic in the beginning because you don't know what the course of the disorder is going to take in a particular child, and there's such a wide range of difficulties associated with autism spectrum disorder from kids who are completely nonverbal and have significant intellectual disabilities to uh, kids who have a lot of strengths and a lot of things going for them in terms of their ability to, to interact with the world and engage in the world. So it, it's difficult to know. You have to begin to lay out a process that whatever happens, you're going to be there with the parents to help them sort it out and, and work through it because you want to make that alliance with the parents from the very first so that they'll keep you involved in what they're going to be trying to do for their child. I imagine one of the questions you get most often is, what caused it? Senator John McCain was quoted recently in the New York Times with the following statement. It's indisputable that autism is on the rise among children. The question is, what's causing it? And we go back and forth, and there's strong evidence that indicates that it's got to do with the preservative in the vaccines. How do you answer the parents' question about the causes and whether or not the vaccines are playing a role in their child's illness? Well, what I tell parents all the time is that the etiology of autism or the causes of autism are multiple. And it's not like some people suggested, some psychiatrists suggested in the earlier part of the last century that it was caused by refrigerator mothers or by parents that weren't engaged or, or parents who didn't care about their children and weren't able to give them any emotional input. And I don't think now you can say specifically that it's caused by any particular immunological difficulty or issue associated with the preservative. Now, that's not to say that there may not be 
some people with autism or some children with autism that had significant reactions to vaccinations or immunizations or immunological problems that led to some of the difficulties they're having with their social interaction or their language. But in general, there are a lot of different things that can cause autism. In fact, Fragile X is probably a syndrome which occurs mostly in boys is probably the number one genetic cause we know that's associated with autism. And there's growing evidence that other chromosomal abnormalities are associated with autism, not to mention difficulties associated with in utero infection, in utero trauma, other kinds of issues that could that could go on with a child that leads to the final common pathway of the triad of difficulties, social difficulties, language difficulties, and rigidative and repetitive behaviors. At that initial visit, do you map out sort of the plan for the evaluation? In other words, you mentioned Fragile X. I don't know if there are other lab tests you might do routinely. Or how much do you do at the first visit? And what are sort of the key points you want them to at least here for the first time. I know many times, again, I'm a pediatrician, you say things to patients and what's said is not always heard. So what do you want them to kind of absorb at that first visit? One of the things that I do that I find really helpful is I actually write down the suggestions that I'm making for that particular family. And they vary from family to family because some families will need something more than another family or different. Even this morning, I saw a child for the first time who had the possibility of a diagnosis of autism and had been referred by the school. And so I went through with the parents. I gave them specific websites like the Autism Society of America's website, the Georgia chapter because we're here in Georgia, the Autism Speaks website so that they can actually look at some of the symptomatology of the kids that have autism on some of the videos that Autism Speaks has. They have some pretty neat videos on that website that show you things. And then we talked about who did, what kind of labs we were going to do, you know, specifically lead levels and some genetic panels, uh, referrals to a developmental pediatrician, and a referral to a psychologist here who's going to do a more comprehensive evaluation of intellectual disabilities and also autistic features. I'd like to come back to that in just a moment and take time to welcome those who have just joined us at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Roy Sanders, Director of the Pediatric Neurodevelopmental Center and Psychiatric Services at the Marcus Institute in Atlanta, Georgia. We're discussing Dr. Sanders' book, How to Talk to Parents About Autism. You mentioned chromosomal studies led, again, as the pediatrician who may have to begin this. Again, if we could go over some of the people that you might tell the parents they're going to be meeting in the near future. I know in your book, you make a point that says you ought to begin an intervention at that first visit. What, what would you like them to start with? The place to start is with education. They have to begin by educating themselves about what kind of particular problems their child is having, which they usually are pretty up-to-date on, and also then how that may fit in with an autism spectrum diagnosis and what does that mean to have an autism spectrum diagnosis. So I give them information either printed information we have here on autism from the American Academy of Pediatrics or American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry or some of the work that you can get off of Autism Speaks or Autism Society of America. We just talk in general about what kinds of things, too, they need to be doing in terms of the placement for the child. If the child is really young, we look at getting them into early intervention services as quickly as possible that are operated through most state 
governments, uh, Department of Human Resources or the like in other states. We get, if they're a little bit older, we make sure that they are involved with the school system because at three years old, the school systems around the country pick up what are called the individual education plans for kids with disabilities. We make sure that they get appointments with a psychologist to get a full psychological evaluation, a developmental pediatrician to have a developmental evaluation, and a geneticist to do a what we call an autism genetic screen, which is looking at, actually at this point, a complete array of difficulties associated with genetics. And we're lucky to have that at Emory. The other personnel that you mentioned, are they available at the Marcus Institute? Is that part of what you do there? Except for the geneticists, we're all available here at uh, the Marcus Institute. And we're about three miles away from Emory Hospital and Emory Genetics. So it's it's not that far of a hike to get the parents over there to work with them. And we work very closely with Emory around the work that we're doing with these kids. If I were a parent and someone just told me my child had a life-impacting disease or problem, I think I'd probably be incredibly angry as well as guilty and frightened. And those are things I would suspect you confront regularly on initial meetings with parents. Do you have any advice as to how you would handle a situation like that, especially to handle the anger? I think it's important to acknowledge for parents that they will probably feel angry about the diagnosis and will probably feel depressed. And we have a social worker here on staff that we refer people to on a regular basis when they first get a diagnosis to kind of help sort out, okay, what are we going to do as a family and as individuals about this particular diagnosis? You are incredibly angry. I was angry with the pediatrician who made the diagnosis for our son, even though I knew at the time that's what the diagnosis was going to be. And I was surprised by the overwhelming anger. And it would have been helpful, I think, from the pediatrician at that time to acknowledge, I know this is really painful. I know you're going to be angry about this. I know you're going to feel guilty. And we want to help you through those feelings. And it's normal to have those feelings at this point. Would you start out even with sort of saying you're going to come in and confront them with your suspicion of diagnosis? And if the screening is done at regular intervals, like recommended by the academy, parents will come in knowing that that's the purpose of that visit. When you're coming back, would you say, I have something to tell you, and I know you're going to be angry. I know you're going to be frightened. I know you're going to have a lot of turmoil. Let me help you with it. Would you you know, be that upfront with them so you're starting out acknowledging what they're likely to feel? I might, or usually what happens in the in the course of my interactions with parents is we begin to help layer on the symptoms in terms of our discussion so that the parents come to the same conclusion that I've come to that we're that we're dealing with autism. Here's what we're seeing and this is all consistent with this particular diagnosis. I think that that's what we're dealing with and then let that sink in for a minute. And sometimes they'll ask questions. A lot of times they'll begin that arguing stage of well this can't be real. You obviously have missed something at that and I'll let them kind of talk through that. And then we'll begin to talk about the feelings that they're experiencing. I mean, I find that to be more helpful. That way they have the knowledge there to begin with. The whole family is obviously impacted by this. When do you begin to talk to the parents about taking care of themselves and managing the family, helping the other children? From the very beginning, usually when I see a, a child for the first time, I'll see them for an hour to an hour and a half for an initial evaluation, which is about as much as you know the parents and the child can kind of tolerate the first time. And But then I see them back within two weeks for another half hour or an hour and then see them pretty frequently. And as we go along, I judge where the parents are 
in what's happening, and I spend time individually with them, and we have uh, arrangements for kids to be able to spend some time in some other places so that we can begin to work through what's happening in the marriage, what's happening with their social situation, what's happening in the extended family. And a lot of that is history that I get initially. And then we also, like I said, have social workers that we work with to try and get some of that history here as well and to begin that work with the family to support them. The other big thing I do is get parents connected with other parents as quickly as possible. So the parent support groups that we have in different parts of our metro area and the Autism Society of America support groups are really important in terms of getting parents hooked up. Well, time has just flown by. I'd like to thank Dr. Roy Sanders, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing Dr. Sanders' book, How to Talk to Parents About Autism. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and explore our on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health. This is Dr. Michael Sayer, Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine at The Ohio State University, and you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals.